Bible Treasures Topic 10 Spiritual Gifts Welcome to the Sound Doctrine Telecast. Praise God for all the corrective teaching we received through this series of talks. The subject of study during the last nine weeks has been spiritual gifts. And the topic that we are considering is how not to operate gifts. Thank you for the testimonies that you have sent to us. Somebody said it is an eye-opener. Another person said, I never thought that there is so much on spiritual gifts in the Bible. Another person said, I am stirred up to do something for God because of this teaching. Give God all the glory because He alone is worthy. So far, we have done nine lessons. Number one, do not be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Number two, do not over-differentiate between gifts and talents. Lesson number three, do not be waiting to be pushed. Lesson number four, do not violate biblical principles. Lesson number five, do not exceed your measure. Lesson number six, do not underestimate less spectacular gifts. Lesson number seven. Do not function independently. Lesson number eight. Do not neglect devotional disciplines. Last week we studied lesson number nine. Do not merchandise the gifts. Today we will conclude this series with lesson number ten. How not to operate gifts. Do not overlook the fruit of the Spirit. Do not overlook the fruit of the Spirit. Beloved, we all know that the longest recorded sermon of Christ in the Bible is the Sermon on the Mount. The very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is what we call Beatitudes, and they are all relating to the fruit of the Spirit. There is only one reference to gifts in the entire sermon. That is in verse 22 of chapter 7 of Matthew. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? This is the only reference to gifts in the entire sermon. Before verse 20, even from verse 16, unto verse 20, the Lord is speaking about the fruit of the Spirit. After speaking about the fruit of the Spirit, He made a reference to the gifts. Look at the 16th verse. You will know them by their fruits. It is repeated in verse 20. By their fruits, you will know them. Having spoken so much about the fruits, then he said, if you don't have fruits, don't boast about the gifts. What is the use? Christians can be broadly divided into two groups, two streams. One is charismatics, and the other one is non-charismatics. And those who are charismatics, they generally emphasize the gifts of the Spirit. 
and non-charismatics generally they emphasize the fruit of the spirit. What was the Corinthian church? It was actually a charismatic church. It was actually a Pentecostal church. Turn with us to 1st Corinthians 1st chapter and see whether we can make a statement like that. You come short in no gift eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every gift was in operation in the Corinthian church. But when you come to the third chapter and you look at the third words, Apostle Paul says, you are still carnal. They had all the gifts, but they were still all carnality was there in their congregation. And because of that, Paul did not immediately decry the gifts. He actually brought the gifts and the fruits together. 1 Corinthians 14th chapter. Look at the first words. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. It is not gifts without fruits. It is not fruits without gifts. It is gifts with fruits and fruits with gifts. Beloved, this is the biblical balance. Very interestingly, this balance runs throughout the scriptures. Especially in the New Testament, in the writings of Apostle Paul. Take for example, Romans 12th chapter. Verses 68, he speaks about various gifts of grace. And how does he begin the very next verse, which is the ninth verse? Let love be without hypocrisy. 68, he speaks about the gifts of the Spirit. Very next passage, verses 9 and 10, he speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. We have often told you that 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, we have so many lessons and teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. And we have a list from the 8th verse onwards of the 12th chapter. And we have often referred to that list, it has got 9 gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you look at those verses carefully, the 8th words, To one, the word of wisdom, to another, word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Ninth words, to another faith by the same Spirit. Come to the eleventh words. One and the same Spirit works all these things. And look at verses 4, 5 and 6. There are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. Differences of ministries but the same Lord. Diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. Same Spirit, same Lord, same, same, same. You know how many times it is repeating? Beloved, that's why we understand that this is mainly to emphasize the need for oneness and the love of the Spirit. 
But what is the general observation? Exercising of gifts is always more exciting than manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. That was the problem in the Corinthian church. That is why 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 are actually, it is a corrective teaching. Purpose of three chapters is not to teach about the gifts of the Spirit. But they were meant to instruct us how to use the gifts for developing of love and unity among God's people. Now that is what exactly Paul was reminding Timothy of. Second Timothy first chapter. Look at the seventh verse. God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love. Not only a spirit of power, but a spirit of love that you stare it up. God used Apostle Paul to work many wonders and signs and miracles. But how does he testify about that? Second Corinthians 12 chapter 12 works. The signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance, patience in signs and wonders and mighty days. In other words, the gift started to work, but it was in that atmosphere and environment of the fruit of the Spirit. That's what he is trying to mention here. Turn with us now again to 1 Corinthians 12th chapter. You find, beloved, here again and again that word, one spirit, one spirit, one spirit comes. Thirteenth verse. By one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and have been made to drink into one spirit. Jews or Greeks, that speaks about racial or regional differences. Slave or free, that speaks about their social distinctions. Whatever may be the difference. Difference is no reason for disunity. The Holy Spirit is the greatest unifier. Talking about the Holy Spirit, if the unity is lost, somewhere we have got it all wrong. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 disciples. What happened as we read in the second chapter of and the fourth words? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We stop here. That is the problem. We should not only experience Acts 2.4, we should also move on to Acts 2.44. All who believed were together and had all things in common. The Pentecostal experience that you have received has not brought God's people together. Something is questionable that Pentecost. Turn with us to Psalm 133, where it is so prophetically portrayed for us. The second verse speaks about the precious oil. And in the third verse, it speaks about the dew of Mount Hermon. Oil and the dew, they picture here or portray here the work of the Holy Spirit. Where does it function freely? Look at the first verse. 
Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Yes, beloved, the supreme purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to lead us into godly living. That's what John the Baptist preached. I baptize you with water. Mightier than I is coming behind me. And he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What is that fire? Whatever is rubbish, whatever is chaff in your life, it will be burnt away. Fire of cleansing, it is a fire of sanctification, it is a fire of refining. That is the main purpose of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We talk about the power of God. Now why does God give us His power? So many promises are there in the Bible about the power of God. What is the ultimate purpose of all that power? Second Peter, look at the first chapter. Look at the third verse. It speaks about the divine power. And when you come to the fourth word, it speaks about precious promises. And where does all these things lead us to? Why does God give us divine power? Why does God give us these precious promises? Look at the fourth word that you may be partakers of divine nature. When we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, do you know against what background the fruit of the Spirit was introduced? Turn with us to the book of Galatians and look at that passage, that classic passage on the fruit of the Spirit. Look at the fifth chapter. In verses 22 to 23, we have that beautiful fruit of the Spirit. But where does this passage actually occur? Look at verses 19 to 21. It is speaking about the works of the flesh. 15 or 17 works of the flesh are listed out there. Having narrated them, in verse 22 the apostle says, what the fruit of the Spirit is. So yes. that word but is very important. In other words, fruit of the Spirit is actually in contrast to the works of the carnal nature. And as you complete the list of the fruit of the Spirit in verse 23, there is a concluding statement. Again, search, there is no law. In other words, after you start manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, no further appeal, no further argument. Praise God for the gifts of the Spirit. Gifts are not the end. They are only a means. But the end is actually the fruit of the Spirit. That is the daily ministry of the Holy Spirit. He keeps on transforming us. He takes us from glory unto glory. Until we become like the very image of Jesus Christ, He keeps on working in us. That is why He is called Holy Spirit. moment you say Holy Spirit, that which should come to your mind is holiness. But what is the tragedy of the day? 
Either we are without using the gifts of the Spirit, or if we are using the gifts, we are using the gifts without love. So the apostle comes with a clear-cut correction. Once again, 1 Corinthians 12th chapter, look at the 31st verse. You earnestly desire the best gifts, yet I will show you a more excellent way. What is that more excellent way? 13th chapter, he speaks about the love. Beware of misusing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus and his disciples once went to a Samaritan village. Samaritans would not receive the gospel. Immediately you know what the disciples said? Shall we bring down fire upon these people as Elijah did? What did Jesus say? You do not know what spirit you are made of. Beloved, when we talk about the gifts of the spirit, if it is not surrounded by love and obedience to God, it is useless. Gifts are not a measure of spirituality. Take for example Moses. God told him to speak to the mountain. He struck the mountain first. Water came. But Moses was not allowed to enter Canaan. God said you have disbelieved me. And God said you have disallowed my name. And we all know about Samson. He was in the Delilah's lap and he lost his power. And he did not know that he had lost his power. But God used him again. And he brought down the two pillars and the entire roof came down and hundreds and thousands died. But how do we explain all this? Oh, beloved, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Oh, God is so kind and God is so good and God is so gracious. And we should not take advantage of that. Praise God that God is able to produce that fruit in our lives through His Spirit. They are called the fruit of the Spirit. Just like gifts of the Spirit, they are called fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said, I am the wine. You are the branches. Oh, beloved, we have to really thank God for these spiritual gifts. Let us use all the gifts that God has given us. Let us produce all the fruits in our life. We wish all of you a happy Pentecost. That brings us to the end of this study. God bless you.